everyone. Welcome to Shalanda Says, where we answer questions on all sorts of topics ranging from relationships to career growth. Join us as we answer listener questions and interview various experts in their field. Want a question answered? Send it to Shalanda at TuxWilderGuidance.com. That's Shalanda at TuxWilderGuidance.com. Now here's your hostess and proclaimed queen of time management and goal setting, Shalanda. Today we have with us Miss Joyce. She was born in Detroit, Michigan. She is a retired executive assistant and now resides in Arcadia, California. She started her career as a stenographer at a major utility company. Joyce has been married for 51 years and has two grown sons. She and her husband have been together for 61 years since they were both 13 years old. Joyce is also the author of 10 books, and she is a professional proofreader. Her mission statement is, I write books that inspire people on their journey to make the world a better place. Her books are available at goodshortbooks.com and amazon.com. So let's get into our first five. These are questions that all guests are asked. So first question is, what drew you to this career, Ms. Joyce? Hello. How are you, Shalanda? I'm fine, thank you. Shalanda. Yes, ma'am, Shalanda. Okay. I'm I'm <laughs> trying to work on pronouncing your name correctly. Yes. Shalanda. Because yes, I had a neighbor, Shalanda. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the reason why I have a problem. So I'm trying to pronounce your name correctly. Yes, but ma'am. No um, Thank you. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. So what drew me to this uh, writing? Um, I wrote my first book in 1997. I am the oldest of seven children, wow. and there has never been any sibling rivalry in our family uh, to this day. We adore each other. Uh, and then when we were coming up, there were, um, like I said, I'm the oldest of seven, and we also had a Doberman puppy. So that meant that there were nine people in the house with a Doberman puppy. Wow. Yeah. And so I wanted to, all I remember, um, well, not all, but basically mm-hmm. what I remember is the calmness of our home. Imagine seven people, I mean, seven children, two parents, and a dog, and it was calm. Wow. So, and I, I wanted to capture the way that uh, our parents raised us. They raised us. We were very poor, but we didn't know we were poor. Um, and uh, so then I wanted to capture the way that we were raised. All we had was love, attention, affection, all of the stuff that's really, really important. And so um, I put in, food has been a, a very important part of our lives. So I put in recipes, uh, about there's about 20 recipes in the book, and also about 20 photographs in the book. The book is called Line of Serenity. That's the first book that I wrote. And when I had finished the manuscript, my husband and I said, you know, we've been together for 61 years since we were 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And he knew 
all of my siblings and both my parents extremely well. He he adored my siblings and my parents. My brother, my oldest brother, who's since died, he died in two, uh, 2013. He had lung cancer. Mm. Uh, that was my husband's best friend. And so uh, I just, when I finished the manuscript, he was reading it, and he was saying how all of us have what he is calling this line of serenity running through us. So I didn't know what the title was going to be when I had finished it. And when he said that, the light bulb came on. Mm-hmm. And it's like that was the name of the book. So the first about 15 pages or so is my husband's writing. Oh. And he went through describing what he sees as the line of serenity in each one of us. So that's what he, that's where that book came from, and that's what got me started. I didn't write another book until that was 1997, and then 2003, I wrote a second book, and that one was called Mother's Dozen, An Easy Recipe for Raising Great Kids. Yes. And uh, so this one is an excellent gift for a baby shower, and it also gives so many guidelines on raising children. When I finished this manuscript, I sent it off to publishing companies, and uh, they said they weren't interested in mm. ra- in uh, how you raise children, except for if there was a child was raised by a celebrity or a minister or a psychologist or something like that. Mm. And so I thought to myself, well, who wants to raise their kids the way a celebrity raises their kids? Right. And so... <laughs> Uh, what I did, I did the next best thing. I had a cousin uh, who was going to a uh, famed church in Los Angeles. Uh, Michael Jackson used to go to that church, and, and he, he was a very, it's a very huge African-American church. Uh, what is it? Fame. I think it's something, um, Methodist Episcopalian or something like that, the mm-hmm. M and the E are stands for. Okay. Something. I can't remember now what it stands for. But um, so I sent the manuscript to this minister of of the church. He was the senior pastor or the senior minister or the, the leader of the church and uh, asked him if he would consider reading the manuscript and writing a forward for the book. So when uh, he finished reading the manuscript, he sent me back a forward for the book, and the forward was absolutely awesome. Yeah. Uh, let me hold on here. Here it is right here. The forward to this book, it says, Mother's Dozen is a handbook of excellence in raising children. It systematizes the rules passed from generation to generation regarding preparing children for the world to come. It involves tough love. It encompasses touchy-feely. It establishes fences that keep the wolf out and the sheep safe. It is common sense, the most uncommon thing in the world, particularly in this present age of negative imaging and self-raised rugrats. The quest is not for something new, but for something substantial. It is here. Every line brings an aha experience. The head nods yes. The will prods action. Well done. Well done. Reverend Cecil L. Chip Murray, 
First AME, oh, that's what it is. First AME Church, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. First AME, that's fame. That's okay. what it is. Retired. He's retired now. But he wrote that forward for the book, and it's just, it was awesome forward that he wrote for it. Yes, so, it yes. And that book is only $7.99, and it's available on Good Short Books and Amazon, and it's only 40, what is it, 48 pages. I can't remember how many pages each of my books since I've written 10. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So that was that book. So, you know, I've written, like you said, I've written 10 books. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So we're going to get into your books in a little bit, but the next question is, what impact do you hope to make? Well, I've got four children's books on the website. My sister wrote one. I wrote three children's books. Um, my goal is to get these books into the hands of students, especially the the children's books. Uh, Jet Black and Her Seven Friends is about bullying, and that one is for children 8 to um, 12. Uh, The Vision, Telling Kids That They Can Make the World a Better Place, that is for uh, especially for struggling students. You can give them a new perspective by reading The Vision, Telling Kids That They Can Make the World a, a Better Place. That book contains two contracts that the children have to sign. Oh, and get the teachers to sign mm-hmm. and get their parents. So they have a, a contract for school and a contract for home. They have to get uh, their fellow classmates to sign to witness. And then at home, uh, a parent or a guardian or a sibling will sign. And um, the the contracts state that uh, on such and such a date, they can decide what date it is that they will uh, turn over a new leaf and, and, and start improving. Yeah, um, and, I remember doing something like that in high school, and that, that's that's excellent. What is the mm-hmm. age range? The age range for the vision telling kids that they can make the world a better place yes. is 8 to 16. Oh. Now, the reason why it's 16 is because I figure that children, not, not children, really kids, you know, well, um, in that age range, if they're like 16 years old, they don't usually graduate from high school until around 17. Mm-hmm. So that gives them an extra year to improve. So that by the senior year, they can turn themselves around. Right, yeah. After having read this book especially. Mm-hmm. So it, it takes them on a a, a brief journey, like a journey through yeah. slavery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just two children, two slaves that are talking in a barn and the boy has just been beaten because he wanted to learn how to read. Oh. And so it, it really implores kids to learn, to get their education, to read and write and figure. That's the way the two slaves are talking about mm-hmm. it. And that book is $9.99. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's available, goodshortbooks.com and amazon.com. Okay. All of them are there. Yeah. Now, think about everything you know in regards to the path you've chosen. In mm-hmm. retrospect, what will you do differently, if anything? 
I wouldn't do anything differently. Mm -hmm. Except have more money to get the word out better. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I know I asked previous guests and they have similar responses and everyone looks at their past experiences as a lesson for the future, as a path to get them to where they are now. Definitely. Yeah. And very few people say they would do something differently, but most people understand that what we go through in the past is what has brought us to where we are now. That's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything differently. Yeah. And, where I am right now. Yeah. Now, your books, it looks like they, they center around family and children. Now, mm-hmm. what, what trends do you see? Uh, trends? Yes. Well, I see us going farther away from God is the way mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's just it's very ugly the way it is nowadays. So uh, I'm doing what I can to try to turn this around, turn it back around towards God, towards the universe. I don't know if some people don't believe in God, but they believe in the universe mm-hmm. or Some people don't believe in God or the universe, but I don't know what they believe in. But, you know, I I just have to believe that there's something bigger than I am. Right. And so that's, you know, I I don't know if I can reach those people, but uh, through the universe, if the universe helps, then I can reach them. And all of us can reach them. But if, you know, more of us need, need to be, I think, need to be, going for um, God's favor. What advice would you like to offer listeners? What advice would I like to offer the listeners? Yes, ma'am. Just keep a positive attitude and remember that this too shall pass, whatever you're going through. Uh, I I don't know where that was that I read that. If you're going through hell, keep going. (laughs) Yeah, Winston Churchill supposedly is the one who said that. I think okay. I was I think I was on uh Instagram or some something like that. Mm-hmm. I love uh social media. So okay. because I love quotes and then I also have a book of quotes uh um uh, that I coined my own quotes. I coined my first quote unknowingly mm-hmm. when I was 15 years old. Um and that quote states never lose your hope and faith. And that quote has carried me through, I'm a seven-year breast cancer survivor and a seven-year stroke survivor. The medication that they put me on after the medication, after the, um, I had surgery and a lumpectomy. I did not have chemo. I, uh, well, surgery was a lumpectomy. Um, didn't have chemo. I had radiation. I had seven weeks of radiation. And then after I did the radiation, um, my last day of radiation was 11, 11, 11 at 11 a.m. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, I love those numbers. 11, 11, 11 at 11 a.m. And um, so then I went on uh, medication with my medical oncologist. He put me on tamoxifen, and the tamoxifen gave me a stroke. That's one of the possible negative side effects. And it did. It gave me a stroke. So I was in the hospital and... It affected uh, my speech center. Now, people tell me that was uh, in 2011. 
and uh, people tell me that they cannot tell that I had a stroke that affected my speech center because I speak well. So um, my college English professor put it this way. She has since died, but uh, I was really, um, from 1974 to uh, maybe last year, I think it was that she died last year, uh, we have had a relationship and keeping to in touch with each other and all of that all those years from college. And um, so she said, well, Joyce, you can put it in perspective by talking to you when you when you're talking I can't tell that you had a stroke so she says that um when I speak I speak in um I don't know what kind of words she was using but uh I speak very clearly that's what she was telling me and that um before the stroke I was at probably like a, a 12 in English grammar and punctuation and all of those skills. And then after the stroke, I went down to about a 10. So she mm-hmm. she always puts it in perspective for me. She says, you're much better than most people as far as speaking is concerned. So that that made me feel a little bit better, but I still struggle, and I'm struggling right now, to try to uh, come across and and get the uh, the words out. The enunciation of the words? Uh-huh. The pronu- pronunciation of words and also just getting the words out of, you know, when the words come in, the words and the thoughts don't go together sometimes. Mm. So that's when I'm struggling. So mm. I can feel myself struggling. And, but you or you may or may not be aware that I'm struggling. Right. Yeah, because you sound great to me. Yeah, so and that's what everybody tells me. So I know, you know what I'm saying. But no, so God is good. Yeah. He brought me through this. Wow. So, but that book, a hundred and one of the quotes that I put on there, the um, I submitted it for a women's calendar contest, and they were going to choose quotes. The quote that they chose of mine. Was uh, I entered it and it was over five thousand entries and they chose that quote. Oh, uh, wow. That quote states, yeah, that quote states, it's better to die chasing a dream never caught than to die never having chased the dream. And I put that quote on social media every day to encourage people. Yeah. Don't die chasing your. Uh, uh, I mean, die chasing your dream. Don't die to never chasing it. Right. Uh-huh. And so people will, will poo-poo your dreams. You know, they'll say, oh, you're not going to do that. You can't do that. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. You know, don't allow people to do that to you. Yes. And, you know, and that's what my dad told me when I was younger and talking about going to college. He wanted mm-hmm. to be an engineer when he went to college. And he had a, a friend that said, engineer, oh, man, that's hard. You sure you want to do engineering? And mm. my dad changed his major to business. And he told me, he said, you know, whatever you want to be in college, don't change it because someone tells you it's too hard. Because he said he always yeah. regretted changing his major from engineering to business. Wow. Yeah, he made it work for him. 
but excuse me, in the back of his mind, you know, he could have done more. Yeah, that's what he wanted to do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that brings my quote to life. Yes, ma'am, it sure does. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get into your books a little bit more. The Dear Bully book, that one really hit home for me because not mm-hmm. only because I see so many people being cyber bullied and I see children being bullied walking home from school, but mm-hmm. I experienced it personally when my oldest son got bullied last mm-hmm. school year. Mm-hmm. And what upset me about it is that I was not informed by the school that he had gone to the counselor and told the principal as well that, hey, this kid is putting his hands on me. And I'm glad that my son knew he could come to mommy and daddy and tell them, hey, mom, dad, I'm having trouble with the kid in school. Mm-hmm. And so your um, poems, I listened to, you read six poems. And and the poems were very touching because you talked about the cyberbullying and the mother's perspective, which really uh, spoke about how I felt about the bully and mm. his parents. Mm-hmm. And also you talked about, um, you have a poem from the, the bully, the child that's being bullied, their perspective, and suicide. You had a poem in there about suicide because mm-hmm. it's so real. These kids get bullied to the point where they kill themselves that's just uh, that is why i wrote this book shalanda i pronounced it right that time do you hear that yes ma'am perfect (laughs) (laughs) so but no so shalanda very seriously that is why i wrote the book because it just absolutely breaks my heart Mm -hmm. that children are committing suicide they shouldn't even know anything about suicide exactly they're so seven nine years old it's ridiculous i know it's just awful and so i uh i wrote 25 poems in six hours it just absolutely blew my mind Mm -hmm. because the way that god works in my life it's almost like he puts the ideas in my head Mm -hmm. And then when I sit down to type, and now I'm a, a, a retired uh, executive assistant, and so my typing speed was very high. It used to be around 90 words a minute, and now it's about 65 or 70 words a minute. My husband still thinks that's very fast. It is <laughs> but, fast. I think I'm at 61. <laughs> and I feel okay, <laughs> but um, so when when I sit down to write, it's almost like God puts the ideas in my head and mm-hmm. they just flow right just out of my out. fingertips yeah. onto the keyboard. Wow. So I don't write longhand. I don't write with pencil and paper. I sit down at the computer. I got a desktop computer and I just fly through it. Wow. Yeah. And I, I wrote those 25 poems in six hours. It blew wow. my mind. I am just absolutely amazed by my own gift from God. Yeah, a gift indeed. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so was the suicide rate among children, was that your motivation behind your bully, or was it more personal than that? No, because um, at that time, I really didn't know anybody that was being bullied. But, you know, nobody had shared that any any child that I knew was being bullied. And, mm-hmm. and so I just... I was just heartbroken that kids were committing suicide because of this. 
and I want to get, my goal is to get the book Dear Bully into the hands of all school students. I'm trying to do that now. I don't say mm-hmm. trying either, so mm-hmm. my goal is to do that. Mm-hmm. Trying is failing with honor. That's mm-hmm. what my husband and I say. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, your book that you wrote in 2003, The Mother's does an easy recipe for raising great kids. You have 12 mm-hmm. ingredients. Mm-hmm. Can you give us one ingredient? Oh, sure. Okay. There's um, one ingredient. <laughs> manners. Mm. That's, That's the, the, yeah, manners. It's terrible to see young children, teenagers, and grown folks who show a total lack of manners. Yes. Now that that didn't start as when they got teenagers. Uh, right. Manners, you you start teaching your child manners very young. Um, let me see here. Manners are very important in in my family. We all help to teach the children manners. We can't stand and won't tolerate rudeness in our children, mm. and we start early in the what I'm calling the magic period. Mm-hmm. At the start of each day, when I would pick up my newborn, little Kanto, as Kanto is my son's name, mm-hmm. I'd look at him, smile, and say a happy good morning, mm-hmm. followed by some lighthearted, animated, one-way conversation. Yeah. When he woke up from his naps, I'd greet him with a warm hello, mm-hmm. followed by more lighthearted, animated, one-way conversation. Mm-hmm. As he got older, I started on the other parts of manners. I might ask him to put something in the garbage for me, please. When he did it, I would say, thank you. Right. If I bumped into him or something else that was warranted, I would say, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Every night before he went to bed, I would kiss him and say, good night. When I dropped him off at the at his grandmother's or at nursery school, I would kiss him and tell him goodbye or see you later. The rest of my family did the same things. He was surrounded by people being polite to him. Then I started teaching him to be polite to others. Yeah. When I gave him something, I would tell him to say thank you. And realizing that good manners involve more than just please, thank you, Etc. I got busy teaching him other facets of being polite, such as covering his mouth when he coughed or sneezed. Right. If a person is reading, don't read over their shoulder or otherwise share their reading material unless you're invited to do so. Don't pick your nose past gas or touch your private parts mm-hmm. in the presence of others. Right. Don't talk with your mouth full of food. Don't smack. When you eat, when you call someone on the telephone, speak to the person who answers the phone. Don't mm-hmm. just ask for your party. Right. If you call a wrong number, don't hang up in the person's face. Excuse yourself and explain that you dialed the wrong number. Mm-hmm. Don't go to bed without saying good night to those who are still awoke, awake. Mm-hmm. Um, don't answer a question that was asked of someone else. 
when you want and when you walk into a room or area in which others are present, the obligation is on you to speak first mm-hmm. because you entered their space. Right. I covered these areas, these different uh, facets as they came up or as I thought of them. So that's manners. Yes. And, you know, what's funny is so my, my mother-in-law told my husband that uh, he was dating an old-fashioned woman. <laughs> and I I raised my children the same way because that's the way my mother raised me. When Just like you said, when you walk in someone's space, when you enter the room, you say hello. You don't have to yes. wait. Don't wait for everyone yes. to notice you and say hello to you. I know. You say People hello don't to even everyone. People realize else. that. Yeah. There are rules. Mm-hmm. You know, there are traditions, you know. And so, and this book is, it's only, let's say, 48 pages, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 48 pages. And how long does it take you to write your books? It doesn't take me long at all. Wow. Because they're so insightful and and, and so, easy reads, and, but so practical and useful for everyday life. Yeah. And and so the mother's dozen, the easy recipe for raising great kids. Mm-hmm. The the recipe, uh, the twelve ingredients are: start from infancy. Yes. Manners, the love for learning, mm-hmm. responsibility, rules, order, and organization, independence, spirituality, or a higher power. Teach them to believe in that as well. Mm-hmm. Affection. Discipline or self-control, feed their interests, teach them obedience, and teach them patience. Yes. And how do you teach a child patience? By making a child wait. Mm -hmm. You don't have to run and scurry to give them what they want immediately. (laughs) Make them wait. Mm -hmm. That is how you teach patience. Yes. My five-year-old, she's learning that, and when she does wait patiently or if she demands, because she's still at an age where she's demanding, I'll ask her, what is mommy doing right now? And she'll say, mm-hmm. helping, brother, and then she'll wait, and I'll tell her, thank you for waiting patiently, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. an everyday thing. And then yes, it is. When they it's grow older, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You and in, you are investing in their childhood mm-hmm. so that you don't have to make that investment in their uh, later years. Yeah. Because if you invest in their childhood, then they will develop all those habits. Mm-hmm. And as as teenagers, you won't have the problems that you might have had. Right. You don't have to teach them things they should have learned when they were growing up. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I remember once uh, a friend of ours, he came to visit and um, he was complaining about his teenage son not saying good morning. So mm. I, I I just very gently said, well, did he say good morning when he was two and three years right. old? Right, exactly. <laughs> and he looked at me like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I know my aunt, my mom's aunt, my great aunt was staying with my mother for some time. And so the kids and I went to visit. And at this time, I just had the three boys and they were about one, three and four. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, uh, she came to me. She said, when your boys get up in the morning, they say good morning. <laughs> I was like, yes. Whoa. Yeah. So and like she was surprised at that. Right. She was surprised that these little toddlers would get up in the morning and tell everybody good morning. 
Oh, Lord. And in my house, you, that's you, normal. That's, you know, those are manners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's manners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and see, I'm teaching them. Um, my grandson is six. So uh, he was picking his nose and, and yeah. sitting in my little lazy boy chair. And I walked up to him and I, and I explained to him, you don't ever do that and so, so that other people can see you. And I said, now, if you pick your nose, and then that's very nasty. Now, if you touch something yeah. and somebody else sees you touch that, they're not going to want to touch it because you were picking your nose. Right. So, and I explained that to him. I said, that's very nasty. Don't, don't, don't even let somebody else see you do that. And I think he understood. So, and I will keep doing that. Right. So it's uh it's, it's, it's an investment. You know, you really have to invest your time in your children while they're younger so that you don't have to spend it uh, while they're older. I was reading an article on the Bloomberg Mm -hmm. website. Okay. And it said the divorce rate has fallen. However, the divorce rate is lower in the younger generation and higher in the older generation among people in their 60s and above. Now, you and your spouse have been together since you were 13. Mm Mm-hmm. And you wrote a book, The Best Way to Keep a Man is to Let Him Go, among other things. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell us how you and your spouse have made it work for over 60 years? Okay. Now, when I was 15 years old, my late mother-in-law told me that uh, the best way to keep a man is to let him go. Now, my husband and I got married when we were 23. so. Uh, and then I wrote the book uh, when I was in my 60s. So the best way to keep a man is to let him go. I added, among other things, to the title. She told me that the best way to keep a man is to let him go. After I got married to her son, I noticed there were a lot of other things, so I added those words to that title. And then I wrote that book, and the book is only 64 pages, it includes 21 pages of recipes. The reason why, um, now in the book I state that 80% of the success of a relationship rests on the shoulders of the woman. And the book explains why I say that. Men are not socialized or raised to be domesticated. Mm. So, that is the reason why I say that. Women have to understand that it, you know, and, and I've, I think you probably have heard this too. Men don't grow up as quickly as women do. Right. Have you heard that before? Yes, I have. Okay. Now, now that's, I also saw something uh, on uh, some social page, because I'm always on the uh, on the computer reading all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it said that, um, when a woman is pregnant, if it's a girl baby, if it's a, what is it, uh, an embryo, then that embryo can withstand stress and strain. So if the mother is going through stress and strain, the female embryo can withstand that stress and strain. Hmm. The male embryo cannot. Hmm. I never knew that, but it seems plausible 
So uh, I'm saying that to say this. Women mature a lot faster than men. Mm-hmm. Um, we come here almost domesticated. We we come here ready to play house and yeah. uh, have tea parties and all of this stuff. Yeah. Men don't. Right. Men aren't socialized that way. And so uh, then they also will say the boys have to sow their wild oats. You ever heard that before? Oh, yes. Okay. We all have heard that. They don't say anything about girls sowing their wild oats. Right. We're supposed <laughs> to be ladies. I know. Exactly. So those kinds of facets in life, you got to put it all together. Men do not mature as quickly as women do, and as females do. I'm just saying females. So we are, um, females read romance novels and and um, uh, magazines. I know I sure did. When I was a teenager, I was we had black and tan. Uh, that was a, a magazine, and then we had True Romance, all kinds of magazines about fairy tale romances and stuff, and the knights in shining armor. Men don't do that. Men aren't, <laughs> they don't read that kind of stuff. So they don't even know what we're looking for. And now, and I also saw, read this article, um, not this article, it was a quote. Women, let's see. Men like what they see. You're going to love this. Men like what they see, and women like what they hear. That's why mm-hmm. women wear makeup and men lie. Oh, wow. And that, now, that's deep. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that really put it in perspective for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. <laughs> so... I'm, I wrote this book. The best way to keep a man is to let him go, among other things. And that has all kinds of chapters in it. And the last chapter is the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And so that's why I put the recipes in there. I didn't want to leave the women hanging because mm-hmm. there you say, well, what am I supposed to cook? <laughs> <laughs> so I got the recipes. Um, now, how many recipes the, are in there? Uh, 21 or 22. It's got, uh, entrees, desserts, and side dishes. The whole schmeal. Cool. Macaroni and cheese, chili, lasagna, chicken and dressing, uh, mashed potatoes, tuna fish salad, um, pound cake, a pound cake recipe that's been in our family for over 50 years, Angetti's pound cake, um, apple pie, my apple pie, and banana pudding. My family lines up literally <laughs> with their cup and, and spoons in hand when I make a banana pudding. I go back to Detroit every uh, every year to visit, and I almost always have to make a banana pudding. So, uh, some of the uh, chapter headings are modify the way you think, and we've got to modify the way we think as women uh, because men are not socialized or raised that way. Uh, Observe and learn your man, and he has to observe and learn you too, but uh, some man should write a book about that. But um, 
be willing and ready to pay your dues. We have to pay our dues. God put the onus on men that they must be willing to die for their women. So I figured that if I were a man, I would not be willing to die for a woman who could not show me that she was definitely in my corner. Okay. Yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, it does. Uh, fantasy versus reality, and that kind of shakes your women, shakes the women up, so that they can lose all of that fantasy stuff. A lot of women live in the honeymoon period a bit longer oh, yeah. than the men. Yeah, that's that's the truth. Learn how to fight. And a lot of couples don't even know how to fight because, you, you know, you when you uh, argue and all of that, you can say some ugly things, and then uh, no way can you get back because yeah. you, you're not going to be forgiven. So right. when you yeah. that tongue goes too fast, be careful. Mm. It's what I call a, a speed bump. I said, when you, uh, what do you do if you're driving and you're kind of going kind of fast and you come up a speed bump so you can slow down and go gently over it? So then that's when, when we have heated discussions or, or arguments, whatever, I'll say speed bump and then we slow down. Yeah. Watch it before you say something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, remember that you have faults too. Um, when women get together, if the discussion turns to male-female relationship, relationships and men's behavior and faults, and it almost always does, I have never heard a woman make any statement relative to the fact that her man has to put up with her faults. From listening to women, you wow. think that females don't have faults. I have never, even to this day. I have never heard a woman talk about how her husband or her boyfriend has to put up with her faults. I've never heard a woman say that. You know what? I don't think I have either. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just ridiculous. Uh, nothing is too precious for him. Some women have, um, once they get married, they'll have a house where there's a room that he can't go in to relax and sit down. They have it set up like it's a museum almost. Oh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so don't do that. Don't have a place in, in his, that's the king, you're the queen. Mm -hmm. There should be no place in the king's castle where he can't sit mm. and enjoy and relax. Yeah. Um, if there's another chapter, if he has children, accept and treat them as your own. Uh, you may uh, be surprised that your own children will turn their backs on you, and the ones that you didn't have, didn't give birth to, will come to your rescue. So you always have to treat children. Mm. If he has any kids, you've got to treat them like you would treat their own, your own children. Yeah. Uh, don't take, this is my favorite chapter, don't take man advice from a woman who has no man. It absolutely mm. blows my mind how women will pay attention to a woman who has no man. Yeah, that's don't allow that said. to happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what my dad said. Don't take advice yeah. from women who are divorced or don't have a man. I'm sure everyone has special insight. Yeah, I know. And also, don't take man advice from a woman who talks negatively about her relationship. Mm -hmm. um, another chapter: Look good 99% of the time. You have to keep mm -hmm. the man's 
interest up, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes. So look good most of the time. If you got a, um, if you're shuffling around the house in a shabby robe and scruffy slippers and your hair uncombed, you might want to change that look. Mm. You don't have to be made up to look like a glamour queen right. that just stepped out of a magazine cover, but there's nothing wrong with looking pretty and fashionable. That helps your self-image and ego, too. Mm-hmm. Don't use sex as a weapon. A lot of women will do that. Use it like a weapon, like a hammer over his head or something. You know, yeah. I've never, my husband ain't never slept on the couch. Mm-hmm. Unless he chose to do so, and I would be right there with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't depend on your man to make you happy. Mm-hmm. And so, and then that's the title. The best way to keep a man is to let him go, mm-hmm. among other things. Mm-hmm. Letting him go does not mean leaving him or quitting him, mm-hmm. it means be secure enough within yourself that you don't worry about where he is when he's not with you. Right. Don't be calling him every 15 or 30 minutes or whatever. Don't ask him where he's going when he's getting ready to leave the house. Don't ask him what time he's going to come back. You know, all of that. Don't don't make him feel like he's on a, a, a chain. Yeah. So let him go. Mm. That's great uh, insight. 61 years and counting. <laughs> Yeah, and you you have to be patient. You have to be the the ring. The main thing I think is be kind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind. Yep, love is patient. Love is kind. Yes. Yeah. Would you like to add anything else before we do the joke of the week? I don't think so. Do you have any questions for me? That was it. I wanted to go through your books and get some mm-hmm. insight on how to be married for six decades. And counting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's see. I think we talked about all of the books. Oh wow! Okay. Mm-hmm. We talked about Dear Bully. Uh, mm-hmm. The best way to keep a man is to let him go. Mother's Dozen. Uh, the breast cancer book. I've written a book about breast cancer, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to, the, the title for that one is The Breast Cancer Journey to Greater Joy, Taking the Fear and Mystery Out of a Breast Cancer Diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to uh, write that one because I wanted to do exactly what the titles, the subtitle says, take the fear and mystery out of it. Mm-hmm. I have pictures of the machines that you're going to encounter, the radiation machine, the PET scan. They're huge machines. And so, and I just wanted to take the fear and mystery out of it. I blogged about my whole journey, and then I just put the blogs together and then mm-hmm. added more information and all of that. So, okay. okay. So, I'm going yeah, to ask so you. Thank for, you very much, Yolanda. Yes, ma'am. So, I'm going to do the, the joke of the week, and then I'll have you tell us how to contact you. So, the joke of the week. This week is actually a poem since you write poems. Mm-hmm. All right. So a painter who lived in Great Britain interrupted two girls with their knitting. He said with a sigh, that park bench, well, I just painted it right where you're sitting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, thank you. I thought so. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, so in conclusion, 
Can you tell us how to contact you? Yes, ma'am. My email address is goodshortbooks at yahoo.com. The books can be purchased, and they are ranging price from uh, $1.99 to $2.99 for eBooks, and $7.99 to $12.99 for paperbacks. And they can be um, um, purchased from goodshortbooks.com or at yahoo.com. Now, not yahoo, uh, amazon.com. Amazon.com. On Amazon, you have to know the title for the books. Go to the website, and you'll see all 11 books on our website. And then you can choose whichever one it'll take you to Amazon from the website. And um, my Facebook is Joyce Fields. My Twitter is at Good Short Books. And my Instagram is JJ Fields 7, the number 7. And that's the way you contact me. And I do respond to email. Well, I would like to thank you once again for your time. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of your day. Thank you, Shalanda. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shalanda Says. Remember to send your questions to shalanda at tookswaterguidance.com, shalanda at tookswaterguidance.com to have them answered by myself and an expert guest. And don't forget to subscribe and share. And as always, have a productive day.